2. We'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll read 1 through 10. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and, took, and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the, circ- for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars per Receive the grace that had been given to me. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the uns- and, and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Let us pray, Father. We love you, and we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your kindness. And today, Spirit of God, we just submit all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our will. And our desires under you, God. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us today, giving us ears to hear what you are saying to your church, specifically us, Lord God, in this place. Father, I pray that you would be glorified, that I would decrease and that you would increase, that you would manifest your kingdom through the preaching of your word and that the gospel would be clear and that our need for it would be clear, my God. We thank you so much for this. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline and you need an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will get you one. Raise your hand up. If you don't have an outline, we have a couple of hands here. Keep them up until you get one so that way they know where you're at. Hallelujah. These outlines are very important. As always, I encourage you, if you're not part of a connect group, get into a connect group. It is very, very important for us that we have fellowship outside of Sunday services. It is important that we grow in the Word of God, and so these outlines will help you with that. There's some questions there. You see a little bit of the introduction. There's space for you to take your own notes on things that you would like to write down that'll be helpful for you, maybe to encourage you or keep you throughout the week. And so if everyone has an outline, that's good. You can open up, and we'll start looking at the introduction here. But In this chapter, as we have been going through the book of Galatians, we learn that the Apostle Paul started last in in the last chapter. He began to talk about how come his gospel was true. He continues with this defense because of how important it is. And so he's given them more than one reason. He's showing them the different things that prove or give or or give um, validity to the gospel that he has been preaching. And so in this chapter, Paul continues his defense of the gospel that he was preaching by walking them through his experience 
with the Judaizers on his first missionary trip, which brought him back to Jerusalem to debate this same issue of salvation by grace or salvation by works that is being dealt with in the book of Galatians. And so if you remember when we, when we went through the book of Acts, around Acts chapter 14 is when there were people that came from Jerusalem. And what that means is these were people who heard the gospel. These were people who were believers and, and, and you know, to the degree that they believed that Jesus was Messiah. The problem was that wherever they went, everywhere that they went, they wanted to communicate and let everyone think or believe, you know what, you have to add something to that faith you have in Jesus. In other words, you need to begin to obey the law in order to secure your salvation. And so it's very important that we realize this because this is, not, this is something that happens to us in our day as well. And so they were preaching a false gospel. And what happened was in Acts chapter 15, when they got there, they went and they had this, um, this big, it was, it's like the first council, the Jerusalem council, when they talked about if Gentiles needed to be circumcised and then they came up with certain things that needed to happen. And so Acts chapter 15, if you go back there, you don't have to do that now, obviously, but if you go back there and you read that account, then you're going to see what Paul is referring to here. And so now Paul gives you what he sees as far as his perspective of what happened. And remember, you have two different writers. So you have Luke who is writing what? He is writing the historical book that is communicating the history and all of the things from his perspective of what he saw. And then you have the apostle Paul who was in the conversation and he was, and he is communicating to us what he saw when he went to this council. Now I forgot last week to make us communicate our memory verse. There's a memory verse and this is very important for us. I hope that you take this seriously because this is the verse that sums up the book of Galatians. And so it's right there in your outline and we'll say this together, say for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I'll say it again. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Last time, say it with me. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We should be encouraged. Jesus has set us free. That's what Galatians is all about. He has set us free. And so it's not just for knowledge, but it is to do what? It is to stand firm on this. It is to stand firm on the truth, and, and standing firm on the truth is something that is vital to us. I'll tell you right now, I have issues, and, and, and I struggle when I'm preaching the gospel of grace, and I'm going to tell you why. Because it is easy for people, when we are not directly talking about the law, for them to just think that they can kind of live how they want to live, and the grace of God just covers them. Are you hearing me? And so they hear this great message for freedom, Christ has set us free, and they get stuck on that part, and they forget to stand firm. In other words, we don't just believe in the freedom. We don't just receive the freedom because Jesus, I say this weekly, Jesus didn't just set us free from, you know, the law. He set us free from the sin and the sinful desires for us to do what? For us to live in real life, to live in real freedom. That's the reason why the title of this series is Liberated for Life because God wants us to live a life that is in freedom, a life that is filled with the abundant life that he desires for us, which begins where? At the cross and what he did for us. 
And so it's important for us to keep that in mind. It is vital to keep in mind the importance of the gospel message as we discussed last week, and this is in your outline there, and in Connect, one of the questions that we talked about is that what, is it, what was the implications of us conforming the message of the gospel? And so in our group, I don't know what you guys discussed in your group, but in our group we came to understand this, that if we conform the message of the gospel, we remove its power to bring salvation. In your outline, you'll see that there's a scripture reference there, and Jesus is being, is, is being talked to. And in the book of Matthew, chapter 15, and verse 6, these people are questioning Jesus about washing hands and all of these things. And Jesus comes out and he tells them, he says, you nullify the word of God for your traditions. When you look at that word nullify, it means to make of no effect. And so what happens is when we, ex- when, when we embrace or we conform the gospel to the people around us, it removes the power that the gospel is supposed to have. Listen, the gospel is supposed to make you, when you're preaching the gospel fully, it should bring you to a place of total desperation. It should bring you to a place where you feel helpless. It should bring you to a place where you look at God and you fear. But then it should also bring you to the place where you understand what Jesus Jesus did, where you have hope, where there is an opportunity for you to have eternal life. But that is the gospel fully preached. The problem is many people do not want to hear the bad news of the gospel. Many people do not want to hear the bad news. I was listening to this, this, this spoken word that was shared with me. And as I was listening to it, man, this girl was ripping it up. She had the bad news down, glory to God. I don't even know how long the spoken word was, but all I can tell you, if you hear it, look, the the background music is spooky. They got echoes coming in places. I was like, man, I'm going to hell, glory to God. When I'm listening, I'm like, man, because she's talking to Christians like, look, you thought because you came to an altar and you said a prayer that that was the end of it because you're, oh my goodness. Anyway, I'm going to say the whole spoken word. The point of the matter was she was was really calling out the church. Now listen, that's beautiful. She should have added another six minutes to her message and communicated the good Good news. Because there's two things that happen to us in our day. There is the, the, the one extreme, which is that I'm going to not communicate the bad news, and all I do is communicate the good news. And like I've told you before, according to Romans, that says what? It says that it is the goodness of God that brings us to what? Repentance, right? But you don't understand the goodness of God until you understand the holiness of God and the fact that God is merciful to you, and that is where you see his goodness. See, and so we go from one extreme, we're over here, and, and, and we're not going to communicate the bad news, and all we do is communicate the good news, and you know what good news is? It's like, that's good news for who? It's only good news for those who need it. Hello? It's not good news for those who don't need it, and so the bad news helps you understand that. So that's one extreme. Then the other extreme is, you know what? Because we're so sick of just hearing the good news, good news, good news, we're going to slam them with the bad news. Listen, there's bad news and good news, and that's the complete gospel presentation. That is the complete gospel that we need to bring forth. Because if I only give you the good news, you don't realize how badly you need it. And if I only give you the bad news, you don't realize that there is a real solution to your salvation, to your situation, that you can find salvation in Christ Jesus. And so we can't conform this gospel message because because let me explain this to you. In our days today, people do not want you to call sin, sin. I don't, know, I don't know where I wrote this. I, I wrote it somewhere. I think it might, might have been in last week's message or, or the outline. But, you know, in our days, man, we try to medicate sin. Hello. We try to counsel sin. Hello. We try to deal with these things in ways that, man, and, and, and all I can say is that I wasn't part of the old school church, but some of y'all were. Hello. 
right? And, and, and you know that. Old school church, they weren't trying to medicate you. They were trying to cast that thing out of you. Hello. I'm just saying, they were like, well, that's a demon right there. There's something wrong. There's rebellion up in there. And I'm not saying everything they were trying to cast out was a demon, but what I am saying is that they were showing faith in the Almighty God. ADD, nope, get out of him. I'm just saying, you act in a, they, they rebuke that stuff. And so they understand. But now in our day, what I've come to understand is that it is not just rebuking and binding and loosing, but it is repenting of sin. It is, and that's the reason why when we go through shepherding a child's heart and we teach parents how to parent, because look, the bottom line is the Bible gives us plenty of instruction and sadly, and don't take this the wrong way. If the shoe fits, wear it. If not, don't get offended. But here's the thing. We have all kind of instruction in the word of God on how we ought to raise our children. And many of us ignore what the scriptures teach. Many of us ignore what the word of God teaches. And so we don't raise our kids the way the scriptures say. So what we have done is we've taken, taken it upon ourselves to do a we're supposed to do and try to equip parents to do what? To raise their children according to the book of Ephesians. To raise them according to what the word of God teaches. And so what happens is when we are teaching our children at a young age this gospel, we're teaching them about sin and repentance. Hello. This is important for us. I'll tell you something. There's an imbalance that comes. And, and, and one day, you know, because you got to teach again with your children. You got to teach them the whole counsel of God, not just part. But my grandmother, she had a real good one counsel part. Glory to God. And for any of us that were doing wrong, you know what she would tell us? You're going to hell. You see that behavior? You're going to hell for that behavior. And I didn't realize this, but, but that's the reason why I had such a fear of hell growing up. I didn't realize this because I didn't, I didn't put two and two together until one day I was over at my grandmother's house and one of my nieces was acting funny and my grandma was like, that behavior is going to take you to hell. And I was like, whoa, that was rough, right? I'm like, glory to God, grandma, chill. I mean, why are you sending kids to hell? But the point is, I'm, I mean, I, I can attest to you today. I knew what the fear of God was. I wasn't like, I, I didn't want to come to church because I knew what? I was going to be a hypocrite. Hello? I wasn't playing both sides of this, and I could go, I'm okay over here trying to get God's blessing, but I'm going to live like a heathen. No, 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 no. And so the point of the matter is, is that we have to be able to take in this full counsel of what the Word of God is teaching us and communicating to us, and that way we are able to appropriate it to our lives, and we are able to apply it to our lives in the way that it's supposed to be. And I'm talking about not just the Word of God in general, the gospel specifically. So when we come and we put our faith in Christ, when we come and we put our trust in him, when we come and we trust him with all of our heart, all of our soul, and we believe that this gospel is able to bring change and transformation to all areas of our lives. Someone say amen. amen. The church in general should make great effort to keep the gospel as the most important. And what I'm talking about today, and you see it in your outline there, is unity in the gospel. Unity in the gospel, the church being unified in the gospel. What we cannot do is we cannot allow the enemy to draw our attention away from that which should be of greatest of our greatest focus, proclaiming the gospel. What is the most important thing for us, church? What is the, I, mean, I mean, think about it. In its basis form, what is the most important thing for us? It's to be a gospel-proclaiming community. That is the most important thing. It is to make sure that all that we do proclaims what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That everything that we do points back to him. We were praying this morning, and that was the prayer of my heart. That everything that we do, that no matter what, and I loved it because Sister Marisol, she prayed it equally when she was talking about the Super Bowl games and all the stuff that are going on today. And she was like, God, may people not be consumed with just the activity. Amen? 
But may they really look at the people they're inviting and, 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 and do their best to communicate, to use this as an opportunity to share the gospel. That is what it means, church, to glorify God in all that we do, that we do everything to his glory and for his honor. And with what purpose? Well, man, can't we just chill and watch a game? Yeah, you can chill and watch a game. And you know what you can also do? You can miss an opportunity to someone who is dying and going to hell that happened to be in that game next to you. I'm just saying. So you can chill and watch your game and be accountable for that because you know better. Amen. I mean, hey, there's a halftime show. You ain't got to watch that, right? You can just go ahead and have, have a conversation with someone, communicate with someone. And so the opportunities for us are there, but we as a church need to make sure that we are unified in the purposes that the gospel gives us. And so a church that is unified in the gospel will glorify Jesus, will consider others, and will die to itself. And so this first thing, I'm going to ask you to repeat this after me, but before I do that, someone brought to my attention that it's not possible for us to speak and write at the same time, right? Is that an issue for you? That's an issue for me, like to speak and write. So, so we did something to help you out, right? We hooked you up. So everything I say, you can say it with me, and it's going to come up here behind me, all right? So that it, it'll help you out. Oh, just not everything I say, but just those points. Somebody will be going crazy and have arthritis in a week trying to say what I say. But those points that, that, that I'm going to ask you to repeat are going to come up. So say this with me. Say, we must, we must be firmly rooted in the one true gospel for the glory of Jesus. We must be firmly rooted in the one true gospel for the glory of Jesus. And so look with me at verses 1 through verse 5 here, and I'll read this. We read this together already. But it says this. It says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And so again, like I said, um, Paul is, re- is, 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 is reiterating to them what happened to him and that Jerusalem council, who went with him and what they did. And he says, And I went up by revelation. God communicated to him that he was supposed to be going there and communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who are reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. And so when he gets there, his purpose is to do what? Defend himself? No. His purpose is to communicate to them the gospel that he had been preaching. And he says, in verse 3, it says, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And so you'll notice something. If you remember, some of you may have not paid attention to this, but for me, this was like a big question. And so you'll notice early, before Titus, um, Paul picked up a guy by the name of Timothy. And if you remember Timothy, his, his, his dad was a Greek, his mom was Jewish, and the scripture says that he had Timothy circumcised. Hello. And so I always thought, I was like, man, I wish, I, I would have rather been Titus, right, and met, and met Paul like later because something must have happened. He was like, dude, don't worry about getting circumcised. I'm like, man, I'm a grown man. I don't want to go through that process, right? And so I'm thinking, like, what happened? And so the difference is this. It isn't that Paul had this different revelation. What it was is that Titus was 100% Greek. He was no part of him Jewish. Understand this. Timothy, on the other hand, he was half Jewish. And so he was going to go out there, and it was going to become an issue. So he said, you know what? For the sake of those Jews that know that you're part Jewish, so that way they can, they can understand that you have been obeying the law up until this time, and you're not using Jesus as a reason not to be, that's the reason why you're going to be circumcised. Hello. 
But he says, Titus, in this conversation, in this conversation, when he goes back to Jerusalem, he said, Titus wasn't, wasn't in any way, shape, or form compelled. He wasn't motivated. He didn't feel the need to be circumcised. And he says in verse 4, and this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. And so here's the thing. As I've said this before, you've heard this in many other places, not just here, but the root determines the fruit. Amen? Amen. And so what happens is that God is sowing into these people. He's sowing the gospel into them. And when you look into the, in, in, into the gospels, you'll see that Jesus gives a parable and he talks about men sowing and he says, and then while men slip, while men slept, the enemy came and sowed weeds into their good seed, right? And so what happens is the apostle Paul goes and preaches the pure, unadulterated gospel to them. They hear this message. The gospel begins to take root in their lives. And then these other guys that are themselves still bound in the legalism of trying to keep the law because they have not learned to let go of trying to justify yourself by the law and embrace justification by faith in Jesus. See, here's the thing that we have to get, and I hope that you understand this. There is nothing wrong if you, if you say in your life, you know what, I'm reading my Bible and I want to obey every single thing that I see that applies to me and I'm going to be hardcore about it. There is nothing wrong with you doing that nothing at all there's people that i know that they worship on saturday because they feel like we have to worship on the sabbath there's nothing wrong with that there's people that don't eat pork and don't eat shrimp and they don't do any of those things and there's nothing wrong with that as long as they understand worshiping on saturday not eating pork not eating shrimp does not save you that is not where your salvation is tied that is the issue in the book of galatians it is that these people were saying you can have faith in jesus but you still have to keep the law in order to be saved. And so the point is, if you read your Bible, you say, man, I want to do this, I want to do this, I'm going to do all this. There is nothing wrong with that as long as you know that doesn't save you. As long as you understand that that does not save you, that that is not the thing that liberates you, that's not the thing that guarantees you access into heaven, but it is the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that is where your faith is. See, when you have, have, have this conviction, and you have this thing that, man, God has done such a great work inside of your heart, and you are compelled to live out the gospel, you're compelled to obey the laws in Scripture, that is what is supposed to happen, not the other way around. And so what happens is the enemy comes to attack the root system of our lives and does what? Exactly what he was doing to them, trying to bring fear and doubt in the place where there should be security that they have in Jesus and his finished work. And how did this happen? He says, this was done by false brethren. Say false brethren. He didn't say almost brothers. The term that he uses is false brethren. See, here's, and, and, and listen, listen to what I just said. You may think that that's the way that a Christian is supposed to live, right? Not eating pork, worship on Saturday, all of those things. And that's fine if that's your opinion. But do, but see, if a person judges others based on those things, saying, you know what, you don't do those things, you're going to hell. That's wrong. That's wrong. Because what they're saying, and, and what they're saying in essence is, my salvation is tied to keeping the law. My salvation and your salvation is tied to those things. And so if you don't do A, B, and C, then you're not saved. Hold on a second. I'm only, I only need to do A. And what is A? Put faith in Jesus. 
turn from my sin. That is what I need to do. I need to make sure I continually do that. I put my faith in that. And so these people, Paul calls them false brethren. They weren't real brethren. People who are judging based upon those things and saying they're not saved. I'm going to say what Paul would say. Those are false brethren if they're trying to put a yoke on your neck. That's what Paul says. Not not what I'm saying. I'm going to use his words. His words have a lot more weight than mine. Hello. Right? He's the apostle. He's the one who, who had an encounter with Jesus. And so he's there and he's communicating this. He's saying these false brethren. And look what he says also. He says these false brethren that came and he said secretly. I like my translation because it says by stealth, right? It's, a, it, it's like they were under the radar. Hello. Like, like nobody even noticed them come in. Why? Because they talk your language. Because they look just like you. Because they seem to love Jesus. They have all of this terminology down. But there's a problem. They are there to do what? And who sends them? Well, you know what? They don't even realize that it's not God sending them. The enemy is sending them. To do what? To create doubt. To create confusion. To create within the hearts of a people a burden that nobody was able to keep throughout all of the Old Testament. Even in the book of Acts when they talk about it. That this was a yoke that none of us could carry. No one can keep the law 100%. And Paul says later on in one of his other epistles, he says, if you break one of the law, guess what? You're guilty of all. That's what he communicates. And so these people come in there and they want to bring you into this bondage. They want to bring you into this mindset that it shouldn't be that way. And notice he affirmed. And notice this, though. When Paul goes to Jerusalem, he says this. He goes and he has a private conversation with who? With the leaders. He has a private conversation with the leaders of the church, and he says, I did this so what? So that way I would not have run or wouldn't be running in vain. So was he doubting the message that he had when he says that? He's not doubting the message that he had. All he was doing was he was, again, confirming the word of God says that every word be established by two or three witnesses. And what Paul was saying is, look, I have the witness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught me this word. I'm seeing the fruit of this. But I also need to get the affirmation of who? Of the leaders of the church, the apostles who walk with Jesus. And so what Paul does is he goes over there. And when you read his language, you can almost, it sounds to me like when I'm reading anyway, I don't know about you. But when I read it, it sounds almost almost like he's discrediting or, you know, like he really doesn't even care to, you know, about any of these people that he's communicating with. But the fact of the matter is, is that he does respect, he does honor, or he would have never asked, he would have never communicated with them in the first place. He would have continued doing what he needed to, what, what he was doing, which was preaching the gospel. But it was important for him to come back and to do what? To get that confirmation of the gospel that he was preaching. And so here's the thing. The gospel declares to us a finished work of salvation that is being fulfilled in us through our sanctification. Let me say that again. The gospel declares a finished work of salvation. In other words, it is done. It is finished. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Does it say that you're going to be new? Is that what it says? No. It says, behold, anyone who is in Christ is 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 right now like not later not going to be he didn't say everyone who's in christ is going to be no he said everyone who is in christ is a new creation all things have passed away behold all things are made new that's what the scriptures say and so it sounds like it's a finished work but here's the problem the problem is that if you're honest like i'm honest with myself and you look in the mirror you realize you don't always look new You realize you don't always think new. You realize you don't always speak new. You realize you don't always act new. Sometimes you see those old habits, those old thought processes, those old ways of dealing with things. Those old things begin to pop up in your life, right? You start to see those things. You get stressed, and all of a sudden, instead of praying, you want to do what? You want to drink a fifth of whatever. Hello. 
I'm just saying because that's how you used to do it. That's how, you know, you were stressed out. So you came home, you had to do that thing. You had to do certain different things. And so what is it that that is happening? What is happening is, is that what we will do is we will start to think, well, you know what? I need to do more legal stuff. In other words, I need to follow more laws. I need to follow more laws. But, but look at what Paul, listen, Paul spends this book and, and every one of his books that he, that he communicates, he opens up with what? With the indicatives of the gospel to us. He opens up not with more law, but with more grace. It's because here's a here, church. Listen to me. This is what will never happen. The law will never make you more righteous. The law will never, all the law does is it shows you how unrighteous you are. Oh my goodness. That is all it does. It shows you how much you cannot obey it. And so what does that mean? Is that you need more grace. You need to understand the gospel. You need to put your faith in the gospel. That's the reason why I tell you that you need to be overwhelmed by the gospel and what the gospel implies for our lives. Because the way that God brings that finished work that was done on the cross that the Bible declares is finished in us, the way that he does that is through the process of sanctification. As we walk in our relationship with him, it's not because we learn more laws. It's because we we put more faith in the gospel, less faith in our flesh. We put more faith in what Jesus has done, less faith in what we can do or what we think we can do. And that is where our trust and our hope begins to lie. And see, here's the issue. When these people came and communicated this to this church, to these churches, these, these churches had a real desire to please Jesus. They had a real desire. To, it's not like they were faking. The, the Galatian church had a real encounter with Jesus. This is why Paul is so urgent in his message. And while they had this encounter with Jesus and they really wanted to serve him, when these people came in, seemingly knowing what they were talking about, they brought confusion to their hearts. Why? Because they wanted to please Jesus. They wanted to do what's right. And they began to feel like, man, are we not doing enough? And see, here's the great temptation. It is for us to seek security in our own works rather than the work of Jesus, which will cause us to ask the question, am I doing enough? With wrong motivation. You see, there's two people that ask that question. There is one person who is consumed by what Jesus has done. And they never feel like they're doing enough. You hear me? There is the person who has been... See, and look... Don't, don't, don't ever see, see some people, they, they get this twisted. They're like, you know what? I met Jesus and you know, I'm whatever. And, and I don't really need to do much for him. Hold on a second. That's, that's not the heart of someone who's met Jesus. The heart of someone who meets Jesus realizes they are indebted to him. They re see, when you really have an encounter with Christ, you are always burdened by the reality that there is more work to be done for the kingdom. And how can I be part of that work? And, and listen, people get burned out and people get tired and I get all that. And some people need a break. Listen, I'm a firm believer. Vacation can be an act of worship as long as you don't leave Jesus at home. That's what some folks do. They go on vacation and they're like just to rest and they forget about Jesus. They don't pray. They don't bring their Bible. They don't do devotional. A week goes by. They haven't talked to Jesus and, and, and that was a, an amazing vacation without your Lord. And what I mean is it doesn't mean, oh, well, Bishop, I didn't bring my Bible. My hotel had a Bible in it. But did you read that Bible? 
I understand all that. I, I get all that. And I'm not saying you got to bring your Bible in order to be super spiritual. Maybe you were doing something else. But here is the point. The point is that I believe wholeheartedly that rest is necessary. Why? Because the Bible says it's necessary. If you read your Bible, you see this. Jesus said this clearly, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Isn't that what he said? He's talking about rest, and that's the reason why it's there. It's so that way we can have rest, so we can restore, so we can refresh. And so that's all important, and that can be an act of worship, which is what it should be. But here's the thing. I understand people get burnt out, but when you are having this motivation that says, man, I'm not doing enough, or what more can I do? That is a righteous motivation when it comes out of an encounter with Jesus. But then there is the other group of people. It is the other group of people that you are asking, am I doing enough because you're afraid you haven't done enough to outdo what you did wrong? Because you're not sure if you prayed enough for all the days you didn't pray. You're not sure if you've read the scriptures enough for all the days you didn't read scripture. You see, there's a condemnation that comes on you, and that's what was the motivation for these people who were communicating to the Galatians. And Paul is saying, look, we didn't even give them one hour of our time. Did you hear that? He said, we didn't give them one hour of our time. And so, you know, we as Christians, this is, this is the hard part, and you'll talk about this in Connect, is how is it that you find the balance between being a person who really trusts and is secure in the work of Jesus and continues to work, and that you don't find your security in your works but in your Savior? That's the hard part for us. Because many of us, and, and listen, I can, I can talk about myself all day, but I won't. But here's the thing. What happens is many of us, we look at our little spiritual checklist, and we feel real good about ourselves. But can I ask you a question? On that checklist that you feel so great about, is faith in Jesus at the top of the list? Is faith in the gospel at the top of the list? Is trust in the gospel? Because for me, I know that I have to be reminded continually. It's not about how much time I spend in prayer. It's not about how much time I spend in the word. It's not about how much time I spend worshiping. It's not about how much time I spend preaching or teaching. It's not about how much time I spend evangelizing or not. It's not about any of those things. All of those things are the byproduct of a relationship with Jesus. It is about one thing. is my faith in him first and foremost. Do I trust his work over my works? And see, that is a hard check for many of us because if we're honest with ourselves, many of us don't even realize how much faith we put in our good works. How much faith we put in our own abilities and not in the work of the cross. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must be fully committed to the one true gospel considering others. We must be fully committed to the one true gospel, considering others. Look, at, look, look with me at verse 6 to 10. I'll read it as you're writing down those notes there. But it says, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. And so right there, you read verse 6, you're like, man, pri- this guy's prideful. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He don't respect no one. He's saying he's the man. That's not what he's communicating. That's just the way that it comes out. But that's not his heart and anything he's trying to say. In verse 7, he says, but on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. 
And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the thing which I also eager that I was also eager to do. And so you see that the whole result of this conversation of the Jerusalem Council was an agreement with the message that Paul preached. And when he says here that they added nothing to me, he's not talking in a prideful, arrogant way like they didn't matter. What he is saying is they didn't add anything to the message that I had. They didn't correct me and said, hey man, you need to add this to your message. Or you know what? You're missing this. Like when you see in the, in, 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 in the book of Acts, you remember Apollos. The Bible says he was a powerful man and he was communicating strongly. And then, and then he got corrected because he didn't have a full knowledge, right? He didn't have a full knowledge of the gospel. And so what happened was Priscilla and Aquila, they pulled him to the side and they say, hey, let me just add something to you. Let me just introduce you to a few things that you're missing so that way you will have the full gospel to be able to preach. What Paul says is they didn't treat me like that. What they did was they heard the testimony that I shared. They heard the gospel that I was communicating. And they recognized the grace of God that was upon me. And what they did was they gave me the right hand of fellowship. And what that mean was they gave, they gave him and Barnabas the okay. And they said, you know what? God has truly chosen you to go preach to the Gentiles. And so notice, we have to be fully committed to what? To the one true gospel, to the consideration of others. And so they had to recognize who they had been sent to preach the gospel to they had been sent to the gentiles just like each of us in this place whether you believe it or not whether you think this or not you have been sent to specific people to preach the gospel each of us has been sent. See, we think, when, again, a lot of times we think in terms of missionaries, we think of someone who's overseas, someone who's in another country, someone who may even leave the state and be in a different state to do a mission trip or something like that. But we really have to understand that we are missionaries right here, right now. That we are called to be on mission with Jesus everywhere. In everything that we do, we're supposed to be on mission with him in those things. And so Paul and Barnabas were recognized as ambassadors to the Gentiles, while the other apostles were to the Jews. And this may seem, and, I don't, and we shouldn't be confused about this, but this may seem like a promotion of two different gospels. Like, you know what, Paul, you have a gospel for the Gentiles, and you know what, we have a gospel for the circumcised. That wasn't it at all. It may even seem like he's saying, you know what, there should be division that's there, and we're going to deal with that in our next point. Is that, that, that wasn't it. He was simply recognizing that they had been called to a specific group of people. And so the question is, as mission in our culture, what we need to do is recognize to whom God is sending us to proclaim the gospel, remembering that the gospel does not just free us, but gives us the power to bring freedom to others. So the reason why we, as we're going through the book of Galatians, should be motivated and we should be stirred about this gospel of truth is because, you know what, if you have been set free, understand this, God sets you free to be one who sets someone else free. He set you free to be someone who would go out there and proclaim, you know what, the same freedom that I've experienced, you can experience. The same freedom that I know, you can know. The same freedom that came into my life when I put my faith in Jesus, that same freedom can be yours. And listen, you don't have to be a scholar to preach that freedom. Hello? You don't have to have all the answers. You have to have the one answer you have, and that's Jesus. 
Listen, there's some people that want you to convince them and want you to do all that. You know what? You can invite them to come and sit down and have a conversation with people that you know are studious and have studied the Bible more than you. But here's what I want you to do. Don't get caught up on those people that you can't convince. Be consumed with everyone whom God entrusts you to preach that gospel to. Because there are other people that they don't need to be convinced. They simply need to hear the word of God. Because the Holy Spirit is going to bring conviction to their life. You see, because you got some people, they are just going to reject. And you know what the enemy does? The enemy uses that to make us shut up. The enemy uses that to make us be silent with the gospel that God has entrusted us with. To make us think, man, I don't know enough to share. Listen, that is the excuse of so many people. I don't know enough. I don't know how to defend my faith. Listen, get out there. You know how you're going to know how to defend your faith? When they start asking you questions and you got to go back to your Bible and say, okay, how do I answer that question? Not sitting there because you got shut down one time. Hello? God has given you power. He's given you the ability. And plus, and I'll just throw this plug in there. This week on Wednesday, we're starting our mentoring program up. And and the second phase of the mentoring program, you know what that is called? We call it Evangelism 101. You know why? Because for nine weeks straight, you learn how to present the gospel in a clear, concise manner and how to communicate it unto people and bypass, you know, their intellect to get to their heart. Because the issue is a person who has an intellectual faith, they don't have faith at all. Hello? And it's not to say that God just ignores the mind. You know, you look at people like Lee Strobel, you know, he's, I think, a lawyer or something like that. And the way that he found Jesus was what? He was studying intellectually. And while he was going through that study to disprove God, guess what the Holy Ghost did? Grabbed his heart and said, you're mine. That's what he did. Because, you know, that's a big big challenge to go to God and say, you know what? I'm going to prove you wrong through your word. I'm just saying. That, 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 that's a big challenge to go to, go to him. And, I mean, that's like, take, that, that's like taking like some huge MMA fighter and say, you know what? I'm going to whoop you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to whoop you in that ring that you whoop everyone else in. Hello. And you don't even know how to fight. I'm just saying. That's, that's a big disadvantage. And when you come to God and you're like, you know what, man? I am going to intellectually prove that you don't exist. God's like, come on. Come on up in this octagon. Hello. He's like, I got something for you. And, I, and listen, I have yet to meet the person that has truly, listen to me now, who has truly and sincerely said, you know what? I'm going to look at that word. I'm going to really look at history. I'm going to really, really study this thing out with, an, with, with no bias. I'm not going to come from one position or another. I'm going to come to this thing with an open mind because I really have a question. I have yet to meet that person who has done that and walked away and said, no, God doesn't exist and that Jesus is not the one. It won't happen. There's plenty of people that they come, they, they, and they'll talk to you, well, yeah, I used to go to church, and I read the Bible, and, you know, they know more scripture than you, and that's, that's just how it is, because they've done that, but it doesn't mean they really had an open heart at any point. It doesn't mean they were, what they, what, see, there's some people that what they do is they study your Bible to confuse you. That's what they do. Or just to, you know, justify themselves. And so they look for different things. But anyway, the point is, we need to be the ones who are out there on mission sharing the gospel, recognizing what? Recognizing who God sent you to. Who did he send you to? Did he send you to a bunch of intellectual people? I was talking to Isaac, and he's a computer programmer. And I'm not saying that computer programmers are smarter than anyone else. But what I am saying is that, you know, a lot of times they have a lot of studying, and they've read a lot, and they seem, they seem, seem, seem. I wasn't stuttering. I was pointing it out. They seem to know a lot, right? Like I got stuck. Seem, seem, seem. I wonder what, what, what happened. Okay. They seem to know a lot. You know, you get around people. don't have to be computer programmers, but here's the point. Isaac has to know what? He has to know whom God has sent him to, and that way he can be equipped to do what? To bring the gospel to them. 
Who has God sent you to? Who, where, where, and, and look, this is real easy to know. You don't have to be like, man, I don't know who God sent me to. Where do you work? That's simple. I don't have a job. Where do you live? You don't have a house. Come and talk to me. We'll, we'll try to help you out. But look, I live in a box. Okay, we don't want that. But even if you live, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just going to say this, but if you live among the homeless people, you live among someone. I'm just saying, I don't want anybody to be homeless. If you, I, don't want, I don't want that to come out the wrong way. My point is, where is it that you are? Because a lot of times we're looking like, like, God, direct me. God, guide me. God is like, I planted you. I put you there. I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to do something. I, I have you there. Take that. Understand where you are. That, and so all you got to do is look around you and say, okay, who is it that God has sent me to? See, because there's some groups of people that you bring them lunch and they needed that. And that lunch is going to make their week because that's the only meal they're going to get. There's other people that when you bring them lunch, it doesn't mean a thing to them. And you got to be wise in the way that you utilize your hospitality to make sure that people recognize what? Jesus in you and that you have opportunities to share that gospel with them. Amen? Amen. The next thing, repeat this after me. Say, we, we must be freed completely by the one true gospel to the death of our flesh. We must be freed completely by the one true gospel to the death of our flesh. And so now we're going to look at verses 11 through 21. There's a lot here. We didn't read these, so you're going to need to read along with me. So verse 11 says this. It says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all. Now look at this. He didn't pull him to, he didn't pull him to the side and rebuke him. He rebuked him in front of everyone. Why? Because his offense was in front of everyone. So you need to know that. If, if someone offends in the presence of other people, you, you can't just pull them to the side. Hello? you got to fix the foolishness. And, I, and obviously that's in context. It depends on what the situation is. If it's something that was totally outlandish, which was this, then he communicates and he does this in front of all of them. He says, So I said to Peter before them all, If I, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as the Jews? So what he's saying is like, look, man, you've been here hanging out with us and you were eating with us because the, the reason why he's saying that here is because what happened was in those times, there, there, there's something called dietary law. Say dietary law. And when you look at God's law in the Old Testament, there was a reason, there was two reasons for these dietary laws. Obviously, one of them is because he wants his people to be as healthy as they can. So that's one reason for dietary law. But there's another reason for dietary law, and it is because God does everything that he can to separate his people from the nations they're going to be around. And so when he tells them not to eat certain things, those nations that they were going to be in ate those things. And because of that, what happens is God's people would have to say, man, we can't break bread together because I can't be around unclean stuff. You see God's point here? 
His point was doing, he did everything he could to separate them. And so what happened was, Peter, y'all remember in the book of Acts, he had, this, he had this vision, he was up there, he was getting ready to eat, and he saw this sheet coming down from heaven, and he saw these hoofed animals and all this kind of stuff that was coming down, and the Lord says, you know, rise and, you know, eat, and he's like, never, Lord, he's arguing with the Lord, right? Because Peter is just amazingly, you know, holy, and God is not as holy as him, and so he's like, Lord, never, Never will I eat. And so he's like, look, I'm trying to let you know, do not call unclean what I've called clean. And then the next thing that he does, he goes where? He goes to Cornelius' house. And what is Cornelius? Cornelius is a Gentile. And so it wouldn't have been allowed until God broke that veil and was like, no, there is no separation. I am going to cleanse these people. And so Peter knew this, and so Peter comes over here, and he's hanging out with Paul and them when they're in Antioch, and he's breaking bread with the Gentiles, and everything is all good, and then all of a sudden, this group comes from James, and that means they came from Jerusalem. It wasn't that James sent them, it's that they came from Jerusalem. James didn't send them with a message, they came from there, and when they get there, all of a sudden, Peter is like, I can't eat with y'all anymore. I got to eat with the holy people over there. You guys aren't holy enough. And so Paul is like... Yo, what's up with this dude? To the point that Barnabas, who's like Paul's running partner, is like, man, I don't know, bro. Maybe I should sit over here with Peter. I'm not going to eat with these people. I'm not going to sit with them. And so this is, this is ludicrous, okay? It would be, look, it would be the equivalent of like me and Pastor Chad, you know, hanging out with, you know, with a bunch of people. You know how Pastor Chad, he does, I don't know if you know this, but he does a Bible study on, on, on Saturday mornings with some men. It would be like, you know, Pastor Chad going, he, he does his Bible study with all these men, right, on Saturday mornings. And then all of a sudden, I come in there with a different group of guys, and he's like, you know what? I can't sit with y'all anymore. I got to go sit over here. That'd be crazy. And this is, what, this is what Peter starts to do. And so Paul begins to rebuke him. He's like, man, why are you trying to make the Gentiles live like a Jew? He's like, you shouldn't be doing that. He goes on to say in verse 15, he says, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified and so this is his rebuke to Peter he says in verse 17 he says but if while we seek to be justified by Christ we ourselves also are found sinners is Christ therefore a minister of sin certainly not and so his point in that question there in that last verse is he's saying this he's saying if we're seeking to be justified by Christ and we are now sinners because we're participating with these Gentiles then Jesus is this minister of sin he's saying no he said it's not like that we are only justified by Christ and by Christ alone and he goes on and says, in verse 18, he says, For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. So you know what he says? He said, Christ is not the minister of sin. He says, if you decide that you want to be bound by these legal things, then guess what? You make yourself a transgressor. You make yourself a transgressor because you are going to find that you can never be justified by the works of the flesh. He goes on in verse 19 and he says, For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. He says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. 
And so Paul is saying, look, we, we, or what I said was, we must be freed completely by the one true gospel. And, and the reason why this is so important for us to read, because I could have just ignored this and went on to chapter 3, but I wanted you to see something. The people who were influenced by this false gospel were leaders in the church. Did you hear me? It wasn't like some new person alone. It is two of the leaders. It is the leader of the, of, 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 you know, the one who had this great revelation of who Jesus was. It is the one who Jesus says, upon this rock, speaking of the revelation that came out of his mouth, upon this rock I will build my church. The one who preached the message right after the upper room and 3,000 come to faith. The one whom God was using in a mighty way as one of the main leaders to the, or one of the main apostles to the, to, to, to the circumcised people, to the Jews. This one is is being influenced by this false gospel. Barnabas, who went with Paul and who, who established these churches as his partner, he was being influenced by this. Why is this so important, church? Because some of you will go to sleep because, oh, I don't need to hear this message about Galatians. Understand this. The influence of the gospel, although the false gospel, is very real in our days. It is very real. And no matter how spiritual you may think you are, you and I are subject to being influenced by it if we do not guard our hearts. If we do not guard our minds. If we do not guard our actions. We are, we are subject to the influence of the gospels that are being preached in our days. Whether it's a work salvation or the opposite that you don't have to do anything. Or the gospel that is just relativism. Everything's relative. Many ways to God. We become influenced by those things whether we realize it or not. And we need to be careful that we don't fall subject to those things the way that these leaders were subject to those things. And the other side of this is so important for us that when you see your brother, no matter how spiritual they may seem, no matter how deep they may seem, if you ever see them beginning to give into a false gospel, love them enough to confront them with it. Love them enough to care enough to share with them that they are falling, that they are going astray, that they are falling prey to a false gospel. Don't be a coward. Don't be afraid to say, nah, man, you know, whatever. If they're a legalist, if you're a liberal, whatever it is, be a woman of God. Be a man of God enough to care enough to share with them that that's the wrong way. Because you know how many people, listen, church, this is the facts. The facts are there are many people who they began, they, 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 they seemed to be serving God, and it was strong, and everything was good, and they fell into, they, they fell into false gospels or false beliefs, and now you call them false brethren. They don't believe anymore. They've fallen away because they gave into other belief systems, because they gave into other truths that were not truths. They were lies. So we need to be those ones to communicate. The gospel not only liberates us from the power of our sins, it heals us from the effects of our sins against us, and it liberates us from the fear of man. You know what they were afraid of? Peter, it says here that Peter was afraid of these men. He was fearful of these men. That's the reason why he got up and he walked away from the table with the Gentiles because he was afraid. And so when the gospel comes into our life, church, the gospel liberates us from our sin. The gospel heals us of the sins that have been against us. Those people who have sinned against us, God gives us the grace to forgive them and not just forgive them, but not to experience the overwhelming burden that those sins against us bring into our lives. God wants to liberate us from those things. And God also wants to make sure that we are not bound by the fear of man because we have been liberated by this powerful gospel. Amen? Amen. 
So here's what happens, church. And Paul says this toward the end of, this, of his communication here when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. A true encounter. And listen, for those of you that are sitting in here, if, if, if there's any doubt in your mind, if you know Jesus, listen to what I'm going to say right now. Because this is very important. Because a true encounter with Jesus and faith in the gospel produces death to our flesh. It produces death to our desires. It produce, it's not perfect in, in the sense that we're going to still battle and we're going to still struggle. There is a difference between fighting your flesh and living in your flesh. There is a difference between having a struggle that you have to constantly confess to the Lord, that you have to memorize scripture to deal with, that you have to meditate on the Lord in order to get past, that sometimes you have to repent of because you fall prey to that. That is one thing. It is a totally different thing to just live in the flesh and not battle it. That is a different thing. That is a person who is not saved. That is a person who does not know God. If you are living in sin, you don't know him. I don't care how much church you go to. I don't, know, I don't care how many scriptures you know. If you are living in sin, if you are living a life that does not glorify him, if you are living a life for your flesh, you are not a person who knows him. Because when you know him, your life is changed by him. Paul says that I have crucified my flesh. He said it is no longer I who live. In other words, when you really meet Jesus, you're not living for yourself. So the question is this, who are you living for? Who are you living for? Are you living for the paycheck? Are you living for, for those of you that are in school? Are you living for your grades? For those of you in relationship? Are you living for your spouse? Are you living for your girlfriend, your boyfriend? Are you living uh, children in here? Are you living for your parents? Or are you living for the glory of Jesus? Everyone that is hearing what I'm talking about should be able to answer wholeheartedly and clear with their conscience. I am living for the glory and the honor of Jesus. I am not living for my own glory. I am not living for who I want to be. I am living for who he wants me to be. And if you cannot say that clearly, God calls you to repent of sin and put your faith in him because he is able to deliver to the uttermost. No longer do I live for myself. But he says this, the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God. What does that mean? See, when I ask the question, who are you living for? Do you live by faith in the Son of God? He didn't say part of my life. He didn't say my religious life. I live by faith in the Son of God. He said the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. That means that I live by faith in the Son of God for my marriage. I live by faith for in, in the Son of God for my finances. I live by faith in the Son of God in my workplace. I live by faith in the dealings with my family in the Son of God. I, that's what it means to live the life that I live. Everything that I do, I put my faith in who? Jesus. My trust is in him. You know, I heard, I heard a, a, a comedian, he was talking, and he said something. He asked a question about, um, you know, some kind of animal. You guys might have seen it because it might have been a video that we played here. And anyway, when one of the kids, you know, screamed out and he answered, he said, Jesus. And, then, you know, he asked the question, is how to do it as a squirrel going up in a tree. And he's like, you know, Jesus. And he said, no, 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 it's a squirrel. And he's like, no, we're in church. The right answer is Jesus. Here's the thing. The right answer is always Jesus. What I'm saying is, is that you should always have your faith 
and your trust in him. It's not just the religious, oh, I, put, I got my faith in Jesus. No, that is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about from the depth of your heart is your faith in Jesus. Do you really trust him? My closing question is this. Do you trust the gospel for every area of your life? For every area of your life? Or do you, do you depend on yourself in some areas and depend on him in the others? Well, here's the thing. If you don't have faith in him, you can put your faith in him today. If you're struggling because in some areas I have whole faith in him, but in other areas I don't, you can put your faith in him completely today as well. And you can repent of not trusting him or doubting him when you should be able to fully put your faith in who he is. That's the biggest thing. What does it mean for us to live with our faith in him? The bottom line is this. In verse 21, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. How many of you know Jesus did not die in vain? He didn't die in vain. We need him desperately, desperately, desperately. Stand to your feet, please, and bow your heads with me.